Welcome to the City Church Cardiff podcast. We're an Elim Pentecostal church in the center of Cardiff dedicated to bringing hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're inspired and impacted by this message. This morning we are continuing with our Becoming uh, series where we look at a specific attribute in the life of Jesus and look at how we might, in the power of the Holy Spirit, become more like him. And this is the third talk in the series, so um, if you have missed Pastor Catherine's um, first in the series, Becoming Truthful, or Pastor Stephen's sermon on Becoming Discerning, please, please, please go back and have a listen to them online, either on the City Church website or on YouTube. You really, really don't want to miss the wisdom, the gold that they have brought already to this series. So today's message is called Becoming Servant-Hearted, and I just love the word becoming because it's a linking verb. Now, if you've done grammar in school, like um, I had to growing up learning two languages, you'll know that a linking verb is a word which needs to be attached to something in order for it to make sense. So to become something means that you're not just giving it a sort of fleeting glance, but that you're actually wishing to embody that particular attribute. And so our senior leadership team have intentionally picked themes which they hope will enable us to become who we were really designed and created to be. So as a church, we're intentionally looking at becoming And we want to become more and more like Jesus, amen. Okay, the guys at home are like amening properly. Um, You need to remember we're in a Pentecostal church and really like amen. So when we think of the many names attributed to Jesus, son of God, son of man, king of the Jews, king of kings, prince of peace, savior, Messiah, you'd think that if anyone should expect to be served, It would be Jesus. And yet when you read the Bible, his life on earth was filled with examples of serving other people. In this instance, as with so many others, the kingdom of God really turns on its head the ways of the world. So whereas the world defines greatness as perhaps leadership or power or prominence, in the kingdom, greatness means service the empowerment of other people, love, and significance. And so you'll understand when I say this morning that nobody has ever embodied service and servant-heartedness in the same beautiful way as our Lord Jesus. Have a listen to the verses here in chapter 20 of the Gospel of Matthew. Here Jesus is addressing the concerns of the mother of Zebedee's sons. Shamelessly, she is trying to persuade persuade Jesus to allow James and John to sit on um, his left and on his right in the kingdom. Now, the request in itself is utterly bonkers. But Jesus uses this situation to teach us a greater truth. So here we go. Chapter 20, verse 26. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did. Not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, guys, let's not become numb to this. This should truly blow our minds that Jesus would deem us worthy of his service, despite the fact that we are blatantly not worthy of it. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, came to serve, not to be served. Jesus modeled a life of service, service to his Father and service to us. And in that, he shows us the approach that we are to take in our relationships with Father God and with each other. So if you're serious today about becoming more like Jesus, we need to lose that really human desire for superiority even popularity, and exchange our desire to be served for a desire to serve other people. Do you see now why we need the Holy Spirit's help in order to do this? (laughs) This is something that won't come naturally to the majority of us. How might we do this? Well, again, the Bible helps us to find a way. In one of his epistles, the Apostle Paul writes to the Christians at Philippi. And at this point, Paul is in prison. But he writes to reassure them, you know, God has not abandoned him in any way. In fact, he assures the Philippians in chapter 1 that his imprisonment has actually served to spread the gospel. Because it's given him the opportunity to witness. Now, Paul wrote this really practical letter to the Philippians, instructing them how to live. And I want to take a really practical look this morning at at chapter 2, which is a passage which sets forth Jesus, who was and is God, as a supreme example of servant-heartedness. It is he whom Paul wanted them, and consequently us, to follow It's his actions we're to emulate. So let's have a look at Philippians chapter 2, shall we? And we'll start at verse 5 and end at 11. If, sorry, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Wow, (laughs) what a beautiful insight into the nature and person of Jesus. So what can we learn from him about servant-heartedness in this passage? Well, first thing, Being servant-hearted means losing any and every sense of entitlement, all of it. 
Here we have Jesus, the divine being, word become flesh, God incarnate, an equal part of the Trinity, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. The one person on the planet who is worthy of being served, worthy of all respect, awe, honor, and worship, didn't lord it over others and think himself superior or more important than the rest of us. He didn't even consider his position as part of the Trinity as reason enough to be served, nor did he use his God powers to get his own way. On the contrary, Jesus emptied himself, literally poured himself out, emptied himself of significance by taking on the very nature of a servant and living out a truly uh, human life. Entitlement and superiority are really ugly attributes to possess. Emptying ourselves of these things is a really radical act of humility. It's this same level of humility and more that caused Father God to decide that Jesus wouldn't be born in a palace, but that he would come to earth and be born in a dirty cattle shed, being made in human likeness. It's not that Jesus lost his, hum his humility. His divinity, gosh, blah, 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 try and speak. It's not that Jesus lost his divinity, but that he gained humanity. Servant-heartedness is the polar opposite of entitlement. To truly imitate Jesus' servant-heartedness, we first need to get hold of a fact that actually in God's eyes, everyone else in the room is just as important as we are. God has no favorites. He places value and worth and dignity on each life he creates. Hallelujah. But it's about to get a whole lot more shocking. <laughs> Verse 8 says that Jesus, being, a f it being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wow. Being servant-hearted means obedience. And you know what? Obedience costs. It costs. It's almost as though the Apostle Paul relishes being able to emphasize that Jesus wasn't just obedient to the point of death, but obedient to the point of a gruesome, humiliating, degrading death on a cross. Now, thankfully, unlike some of the people that we've prayed for this morning um, in the persecuted church around the world, it, it's unlikely that any of us will have to um, be obedient to the point of death. Who knows? Yet in order to become servant-heartedness, to become servant-hearted, we too can carry that same whatever-it-takes attitude. You see, serving other people... It's hard work. It's hard work. 
Yet consistently throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus serving other people. That's exactly what he did at the wedding in Cana, Galilee, when he changed the water into wine. It's exactly what he did at the end of a long day when he fed the 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish. It's exactly what was on his mind as he washed the feet of the disciples in John chapter 13 that Jesus would bow the knee and wash another man's dirty, muddy feet is breathtaking. Let's not allow ourselves to get numb to the fact that here we have Jesus, the Lord, one of the Trinity, stooping to serve another. You may well have heard of the saying which says, if serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. Well, this is leadership, Jesus style. Thirdly then, becoming servant-hearted is noticed by heaven, but it should go unnoticed by earth. When you consider the level of Jesus' obedience to the Father, that he would become obedient even to the point of death. When you understand the enormity of his sacrifice, you realize that actually there is no room for pride or showmanship or self-promotion. Jesus' service of others was to bring joy to his Father. And likewise, our service to the Lord and to others must be a manifestation of our relationship and love of Jesus. Galatians 5 verse 13 exhorts us to serve one another humbly and in love. You see, a servant works to please and bring credit to their master and not to themselves. And I find that in my service of others, it's good to do a regular check of my motives. So first of all, I might ask, who am I trying to impress? (laughs) Do I serve so that other people see me? Or could I be doing these very same tasks undercover, incognito? Is the consequence of my actions such that people look at me and think I'm ace? Or does all of the glory rightly go back to Jesus? Now, I love the wording of Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, and I love it in the message translation. This is what it says. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter. And not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service not status. Each of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but he waded right in and helped out. So strength is for service and not status. Don't you love that? How can I help? Not making it easy for myself by avoiding people's troubles, but actually wading right in and helping out. What's our motivation? Is it to be seen doing things and therefore be prominent? Or is it to secretly serve and to be significant? I wonder what your default response is when you are asked to serve. Is it, no, no, I'm too busy. I can't. 
Maybe we say no because we can't be bothered. <laughs> or maybe the task just seems a little bit beneath us. Come on. Well, if the way to greatness is to serve, then we should be thankful for every opportunity that comes our way. And not just thankful for it, but actively seeking out opportunities to help out. So here's my final big point today. The source of servanthood is love. It's love. It's not enough anymore just to say that we are Christians, to identify as Christians. We need to actually speak, act, love like those who belong to Jesus. And this just doesn't happen. We need to be intentional about who we're becoming. So maybe if you are reluctant to serve others, you might want to ask the Lord to help you to love people more deeply. So there's three questions you could ask yourself. Where, where am I serving? I mean, the obvious answer to that would be to serve in our communities, to serve in our workplaces, to serve here with church. Secondly, who are you serving? Well, again, the primary focus should be the Lord, but also serving others. And then thirdly, who? Who am I serving? How might our attitude change, I wonder, if we saw service to God as an act of worship to him. So let's think of some practical ways we might intentionally develop a servant-hearted lifestyle, remembering that being servant-hearted means perhaps going out of, out of our way, going the extra mile to serve. I've got seven ways. You'll have heaps more, but here's my first one. For every no that you give in response to being asked to serve, why don't you find two ways of saying yes? That way, the focus isn't on ourselves and, you know, people coming to serve us, but us actively serving others. For every no, find two yeses. Secondly, find creative ways of sharing Jesus' love with other people. You might be somebody's anonymous angel by just cooking them a, a casserole and placing it on their doorstep. Or you might want to mail order somebody some brownies. Hello. Um, <laughs> it's all good. But if that's beyond your financial capability, it doesn't matter. Go and pick somebody some blackberries or some apples or go and mow their lawn. How can you help out? Thirdly, care. Just care. Even if it costs you your time, money, energy, and effort. Even your patience. Listen well when people speak. There are loads of people having a really, really rough time at the moment. Offer to step up, to step in. Number four. I love this one. Consider people part of your family. You would not think twice about picking up your phone to your son or your daughter, your sister, your brother, your mum or your dad. How about you intentionally picked up the phone to the same person once or twice a week? Invite people to be part of your family. Number five, care for the carers. You know those whose actually entire day is spent looking after other people? That might be a literal carer or an NHS worker, a teacher, somebody who's in retail. How might you and I provide respite for them in this season? 
Number six, share. Share with others as they have need. That's a pattern that we see repeatedly in the Bible, particularly in the book of Acts, chapter 2 and chapter 4. You can take a look at that. You don't need to give everything away, but you might be able to share from what you have already. This might come in the form of clothes. If somebody needs a jacket, have you got a spare jacket to give away? Or... um, It might mean just tithing one out of ten things that you buy in a supermarket every week and setting them aside for a food bank. You know, James chapter 2 says this, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their practical needs, what good is it? And here's my last example. A great way to serve is just to pray for people. A simple act of prayer shows that you care. John Wesley once said this, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. You know, Jesus, having made himself nothing, taking the very nature of the service, servant, found that his father exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The goal of our service to the Lord and to others is not that we're to be seen doing good, but you know, there's something really satisfying knowing that just Jesus and us know that we're serving. The goal is that all the glory might go back to Jesus. We might be the first or only Bible that people ever read. Whereas the world is caught up with being served, let's be those who roll up our sleeves, fix our eyes on Jesus, and look to both love and serve people into the kingdom. Amen. Amen, church. Well, you might be here um, today or watching in online and you've heard about this Jesus who was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And do you know what? This same Jesus wants a relationship with you today. Let me tell you one of the reasons why he wants that. He loves you lavishly lavishly. He thinks you are the best thing that has ever been created. But do you know what? You and I, if we're really honest, we've done things that have messed up, embarrassed ourselves and others. We've hurt other people. We are broken people. But Jesus, this Jesus who is obedient to death on a cross, wants to fix that broken relationship. He wants to bridge that gap between us, the mess-ups, and God, the perfect Father. So today I would ask, to ask you, have you made your peace with God? Are you right with God? Do you know what? It only takes a short prayer to ask for his forgiveness and for that relationship to be restored. And in just a second, a slide is going to come up on the screen which just prays us through that. Today, do you need to step into a relationship with God? If you're you're someone who's made a decision before, do you need to come back to Jesus today? 
just take a look at the slide. It just says, sorry. It asks for forgiveness. And then it says, would you be Lord of my life? So maybe you want to pray this in your heart with me this morning. Here we go. Jesus, I acknowledge that I have done wrong things and that my sin has separated me from you. But I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Today, I ask for your forgiveness and thank you for your gift of new life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I choose relationship with you and I choose to live for you. Please come into my heart and change my life now and forevermore. Amen. So if you prayed that for the first or hundredth time this morning, do you know what? Please go and tell somebody. We would love to cheer you on in your walk with Jesus. So there are digital pastors online who will chat with you. There are pastors here in the building who will chat as well. But let's commit ourselves this week to serving God and to serving others. Amen? Amen. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. To find out more, visit our website at citychurchcardiff.com or find us on social media.